Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today, we're going to talk with uscfootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber about USC's loss to Utah. The program being one and three. The uh, teleconference on Saturday, we heard from Clay Helton. Lots of different topics we want to get to uh, today. If you have any questions for us, and you guys have been sending them in, so I don't even know if I want to give out this information anymore, but I'll do a quick podcast at uscfootball.com. Okay, don't send too many emails. Uh, you can call us too at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail there. Um, I'm going to actually, we'll do one voicemail with Dan, but we had a whole bunch of other ones, and I'm going to try to do a solo podcast tomorrow on Tuesday where I just play all of your voicemails and comment on all of them because I think I got like 10 or 12 of them. Um, so we'll try to get all of those in. And uh, just so you get a voice out there, uh, we didn't do any co- questions with Coach Harvey Hyde yesterday. So we'll do questions with Dan, mostly email questions. We'll do one voicemail, and then I'll do a solo one. And I think we'll have Shotgun on as well, uh, talking about the uh, um, participation chart. When that comes out, that should be interesting. So, yeah, a lot of good podcasts lined up this week. Maybe we'll get a special guest. We could have Bruce Feldman or somebody on. Because the Les Miles, Les Miles got fired and all this coaching talk, and USC gets it wrapped up in all that. So lots of stuff, obviously going on but let's bring in uh dan weber and uh dan hope you're doing okay uh it's been a strange weekend but we're not we're not it's not we're not unaccustomed to strange weekends here at uscfootball.com no not at all actually uh when it got to be that last drive you thought yeah just like two years ago you know they flubbed you know they had the ball in uh utah territory just like two years ago they kind of flubbed it up on offense just like two years ago. They gave it up to Utah fairly deep in Utah territory just like two years ago. And they, they couldn't do a thing to stop Utah from winning in the final seconds just like two years ago. So the USC players, I think, remember that. I think all the people on the USC sideline remembered it. I think all the people in the stands at Rice-Eccles Stadium remembered it. The Utah kids certainly remembered it. And it was like... Once Iman Marshall committed that pass interference, when it was third and 10, 93 yards to go, uh, four minutes or whatever left in the game, everybody knew this baby was over. They're getting, they're coming down. They're going to score. There won't be any time left. Too bad. And that's exactly what happened. That's the, of all the things that happened is that sense at the end of those games that no one at USC is going to come up with an answer or a play, and the other team believes they are. That's that's just, that has to change. That's what's been lost here, is that sense of, uh, we're USC, we we make the plays. Uh, there's none of that now. There isn't, Dan, and, uh, you know, looking for answers, and I, there's a lot of coaching talk, and we'll get to all this stuff with the questions. But there's, you know, obviously USC has a coaching staff in place. Uh, Clay Elton's one and five since he took over as the permanent head coach for USC. They're one and three 
this year. And then we get to talk to him after each game. There's a teleconference. He gets to watch some tape. And then we can kind of ask some questions. And I told you this off the air. Maybe the most frustrated I've ever been listening to one of the coaches' teleconferences since I've started doing, you know, started doing this was on Saturday when we heard from Clay Helton where, you know, there were so many different things where you're like, is there someone telling him not to say that? Because I don't think you want to be praising the Pac-12 refs. I mean, I don't think you have to kiss their butts, but I mean, I don't think you have to, you, you can't trash them, but I don't think you have to be kissing their butts. And that really what it seemed like. And not having an answer for why Justin Davis only got four carries in the second half and he's averaging 12 and a, you know, 12.6 yards, uh, per carry. Just so many things, Dan, that just you walk away from that going, I'm not sure what is going on here or why, you know, why do you punt on, you know, fourth and three or why did you not, you know, uh, question the spot? Like we said, so many things, Dan, that were frustrating on that call. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, I really did. I mean, it's frustrating to just have the ball three times in the second half, and and you know you got to feel like you want to get Ronald Jones a chance to you know to run the ball. You wanted to get Aka Cedric. They thought he uh, you know got him going a little bit in that first half, and you got to get the ball. And if you can't take it away from the other team, uh, uh, you know, it makes it really tough. And uh, as it turns out, uh, you know. That, I don't, I don't know what the answer is to the running back rotation if you don't get more offensive plays. You don't get more chances to carry the ball. I don't know how you keep those guys happy. And, uh, uh, I think they predetermined how they were going to go. And, uh, I don't think, you know, you don't want to say that to people that he, he kind of said that, you know, it was sort of a predetermined rotation. Uh, you know, and, you know you don't want to tell Ronald we don't think he should be out there now. Uh I know that's you know, that's that's not the season Ronald was looking for. Um uh, and so and he's got a lot of issues. Uh you know, the fourth and three uh, obviously uh you know, it was a, a judgment call when Juju got hit and, and knocked back. I think it's interesting. Last year the big feature of the Utah game was when Juju took that, that cornerback that, that had gotten him mad and knocked the guy off the field. This year, some, you know, little cornerback, you know, knocks Juju backwards and Juju can't get around him. Uh, what, what the right spot was on that play, I think I would have liked to have seen it a couple of more times, which is why I think they needed to ask for a review. Uh, fourth and three makes it a harder call. But, uh, I mean, how do you predict, you know, uh, Chris Tilby got it. That was a hell of a punt to kick it dead on the seven. Uh, I thought, you know, just a great job. How many times are you going to get that? I don't know. So how many yards are you giving up, uh, you know, if you're you're on the 37? You know, there, there just were a lot of things that just, are you getting all the right information? Is the head coach able to process that information? Are his assistant coaches, you know, giving him all the information? Uh, I mean, they obviously turned the corner on the offense. Uh, you know, with Sam Donald, you couldn't have done a better job with the first year, you know, guy with his first start. Uh, you know, they, 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 the offense had some diversity. They ran, they attacked inside. The run pass options really looked like, oh, that's how it's supposed to look. Uh, so they did all that. Uh, you know, spread the ball around. Uh, couldn't get the answer on offense and, or on defense. And it, and looked like, you know, when they needed not to have a penalty, they had a penalty. Uh, and when they needed to get a break, uh, you know, 
everybody else at USC plays seems to get breaks from the uh, uh, Pac-12 officials, but uh, USC doesn't. So, you know, it's it's a lot of tough things. I would say this: if I were standing there in my former lifetime as an SID, I might have written on a big tablet while the coach is being interviewed to say, "Do not say anything good about the Pac-12 officials, <laughs> please." Just don't say anything. I mean, the problem is you almost have to ask a question about them every week because they're going to do something that's pretty outrageous. I mean, I, I mean uh, at least I did say in his 21 years of coaching, he's only seen that call twice that, that Damian Mama got. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he wasn't running downfield blocking like it was a screen pass. You know, he flipped on a linebacker and rolled. Uh, so, I mean, they obviously, I mean, that was like one hundredth of the, uh, necessity of calling that one then on the block in the back on Cameron Smith on the, on the reverse. And they let that go and, uh, certainly didn't let, you know, the, the play go on, uh, on Damien. So yeah, maybe you can't the, say anything good about him. Yeah. And then, and maybe from that call when, how I, I get that he's a positive guy. And he's trying to be positive, but to say, to keep reiterating how enjoyable, how much fun the players were having, how enjoy, it was his most enjoyable game in his last six years at USC. If I got the quote right or paraphrasing that correctly, that's not what USC fans want to hear. You know, the last time you beat a power five team was in November of last year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's about wins and losses right now. And, and, And sure. This is unbelievable what USC is facing. I mean, Arizona State is one below rank. You know, they're they're tw- number 26 in the AP poll. That would have been four teams in the first five ranked. I don't know if that's ever happened before, where a team opens with five games, four of those t- uh, opponents are ranked. Uh, you know, and and I guess four of them are unbeaten. And they're playing four unbeaten teams. I mean, so this is difficult. But, you know, which is why you have to win that game Friday. You, you have no choice. You have to win that game. Improving, you know, no. Playing hard, no. You gotta win that game. Yeah. You got to win that game. And this season, the way this season is set up, if you're up two touchdowns in the second half in a game you must win, you must win that game. That you didn't win that game, Nothing else matters. And it's a shame. We ought to be all talking this week about Sam Darnold. What a debut for for that, you know, redshirt freshman. Uh, we should be talking about the diversity in the running attack. And they were able to do things they haven't been able to do all year. But we're not. We're talking about uh, how Justin Davis wasn't on the field in the second half, really. Uh, you know, it's a big deal, winning or losing. You win... I mean, you know, Nick Saban wins, and the fact that he doesn't seem to really know what to do with his quarterbacks uh, early in the season doesn't matter a bit. That he says one thing and does another doesn't matter a bit. He's a winner. Clay, if you're losing, nothing else, you know, no explanations, no happy talk, no. No. We're, we're, People want to know how much improved. fun you're having. Uh-huh. Forget if, it. If you're losing, USC fans don't want to hear about how much fun you're having and how much you enjoyed the game. That's not what they want to hear. No, no. And 
the only reason that's true is you were so wretched the week before <laughs> against the Stanford team, which now that we saw them play UCLA, they're about as good as we thought they were, which isn't all that no, good. Yeah. They're still ranked. They're not very good. They're not very big. They're not very strong. You know, you know, they made the play, but there's the difference. End of that game, probably shouldn't have been in it. UCLA gave them a couple of opportunities, and Stanford took advantage of them yeah. and made the plays when they had to because they believe in what they're doing, even though I'm not sure that that Stanford team, you know, man for man and every other way, I don't know that they're better than either USC or UCLA. But there they are, yep. 2-0 against the L.A. schools, and they're moving on. Uh, who knows how? But, I mean, how did UCLA pretty much beat them up, phys- out physical? They did, completely. Just, you know, lay the wood on them, and Stanford didn't have an answer. And then you think, well, wait a minute. Why didn't that happen a week ago? Huh. And <laughs> maybe it's because you play like you practice. And maybe they're not practicing the way they need to play. Yeah. We'll see this week. Uh, if, if, if things don't change, then, uh, you know, every game's going to be a crapshoot. Because there's nobody they're playing now who can't beat them. No. Nobody. I mean, Arizona State's undefeated. That's, I mean, they almost lost to UTSA, but they're undefeated. Colorado looks really good. They just went up to Oregon and beat, you know, the Ducks. It's There's no gimmies. You know, Cal can score, yeah. you know, 50 points a game. Um, there's just a lot of, I mean, every hey, Arizona could, probably could have beaten Washington. I mean, yeah, uh, they, that was an overtime there, game. There, that was overtime. nobody. Yeah. You know, that's the bad news. If you take a, a year to be really down and go in the wrong direction, this might not be the year. I mean, a Pac-12 <laughs> might not have anybody, you know, even deserves a smell as far as the college football playoff, but they got everybody that can beat you except maybe Oregon State is not on the schedule. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a year you want to start out 0-2 in the Pac-12. I mean, USC now is now a game and a half behind Arizona State already. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a tough hole to climb out of. Okay, so and you've already lost a game in the Pac-12 South. That's very difficult. You can win the next four, you know, and that's certainly no sense, but you can beat uh, you know, UCLA and uh, – uh, Colorado and, uh, and the Arizona schools, and you're still in trouble because you've already lost to Utah and you've lost to Stanford. So you really, you know, everything comes together for USC uh, and figure everything out and get practice right and do the uh, Ed Orgeron turnaround of 2013. They still may not, you know, have what it takes to get themselves to where they want to go and, you know, that makes it tough if all you're doing each week is playing for pride or trying to ruin somebody else's season. You know, I mean, yeah. Well, let's jump into some questions, Dan. Um, we'll start off. I'll play the voicemail one first, and then we'll go through all the email ones. And we got a lot, like I said. Here's the, the voicemail. Hey, guys. It's Daniel out of Los Angeles. I'm so frustrated. Um, been watching with the USC since I was a child. Um, I would say, Dan, this message is for Dan, um, Dan Weber. I love your optimism that you bring uh, about the practices and, you know, before the games, like you're very positive about the football team. But 
have to say now, Dan, uh, it Clay has to go. You get a new coach, start over, bring in a new coaching staff. Um, it may hurt in the beginning, but you bring in someone who knows what they're doing, someone who knows how to win. You he will be able to ride the ship, you know, right away. They do what the Fort Diners did. Jim Tomsula was a bad hire. They lost a lot of games. They recognized it. They got rid of him and brought in another coach. I mean, we know Chip Kelly is still improving, but at least he brought in somebody who actually knows how to be a football head coach. You can just they can just go ahead and do that and start over. Um, but yeah, there's something wrong with that. Looking forward to USC basketball. A lot of a lot of hope with them this year. They're going to be able to, I feel, heal all of football football season wounds. A lot of good players, a lot of great uh, recruiting coming in. I know it's off subject, but I'm looking forward to basketball coming up. <laughs> All right, guys, fight on. I don't know if we've ever had a – I'm looking forward to basketball season basketball. in September. Yeah, I feel like I'm back in Kentucky. Or, uh, in the year I co- tried to cover USC and UCLA both, and, and, and you were hearing the uh, UCLA back to basketball talk. But, uh, yeah, uh you try to be as positive as you can, and and a lot of positive. This is what's so. This is where it's been tough this year, and of course Clay had no head coaching experience. Okay, and that's uh, obviously a problem, but he did better. And and again, this is the problem of, of measuring USC football over the last however many years. They had a better winter uh, winter workouts. Uh, they improved much better spring. Uh, did a lot of good things. They were competing. They had enough players to compete finally. They played full speed. They went at it, you know, it was like, wow, this is two quarterbacks and all this stuff. And they had the best summer workouts I've ever seen here. A lot of 11 on 11. They went five days a week. Uh, they were in better shape. All of that stuff. And they get to, you know, uh, August and for a couple of weeks wasn't bad. Because they were going hard, because they were still competing. They hadn't put out a depth chart. They hadn't done any of those things. You know, the quarterbacks were competing. Uh, guys were still competing. The offensive line, uh, and then they started. You know, they did the depth chart. They started getting ready for Alabama, and everything kind of came to a halt. And you know, you, you we talked about it that they were kind of fumbling and stumbling and not exactly going full speed. And you think, gosh. Yeah, I hope they know what they're doing. And it turns out they really didn't. They didn't do anything to get them ready for, you know, the Alabama game. That was, that was embarrassing. Uh, and that threw them off to the point where, you know, Utah State was what it was. But, uh, you know, the last two weeks, this has not been a team that, you know, has gotten ready to play at the level it needs to play to, to beat Stanford and Utah on the road. Uh, that's not, something it's going to be easy for anybody to do but for usc at this point in time they have to have that certainty and that you know head coaching in terms of what do we have to do you know it was last week the week to not you know it's a short week and a travel week again thank you usc and pac-12 for not standing up for the team uh to make them travel and you know i mean teams have tend to have a bad record the week after they play Stanford anyway to make them go on the road in a short week and play in bad weather in Utah uh, is ridiculous but nobody stands up for USC unfortunately uh, but was that the week to say okay boys we're not going to go in full pads any day this week I, I just don't think so I mean that brings back memories of getting ready for the holiday bowl last year we're giving them a week off and you know having what seven or 
practices fewer than uh, Wisconsin did. Wisconsin's out there hitting every day. Uh, probably not the way to go. And you want people to learn from their mistakes. Uh, I thought it was an obvious mistake last year. It sent a, it sent the wrong uh, message to the, the team that, hey, we can go eight practices out of our 15 and we'll be ready to beat Wisconsin. We're that good. Well, apparently they're not. And who knows, Wisconsin, you know, those guys maybe that weren't playing last year uh, are, are, are pretty darn good at Wisconsin from what they've done to start. And, uh, you know, look at how much better Wisconsin is after, you know, working so hard last year and where USC is right now. Uh, so, you know, it's hard to, to keep – you always try to find – because, you know, you like the kids and you watch them work and you, you think, well, there is a way to do this, but after – trying to figure out, you know, with Lane the way they practice and Sark the way they practice and now seeing Clay going in that direction after doing it differently in the spring and the summer. Uh, it's real disappointing that they've gone the direction they're going right now. And and the proof is on the field. They're not putting them under enough pressure uh, in practice to be able to perform at the level they need to perform against pretty good teams. They're just not ready. And uh, I think you see, you see glimpses, you see plays where you say, wow, that guy's pretty good, or wow, they can do this, or wow, they, can. they can't do it consistently, and they can't do it when they most need it, and they can't do it without making mistakes, uh, and without, you know, getting dumb penalties and all that. And that basically all comes back to coaching. And I can't argue. Yeah. Um, we should probably end the podcast now, Dan. I know we have a lot of questions, but someone just said they were looking forward to USC basketball season. And I just, uh, in September, <laughs> I, just I don't pass that over. I think that's just the depth <laughs> of depression when I, I hear that. I don't think I we should can't... even, I don't want to, I'm going to cancel the show for the rest of the month. I, I'm not, I just, I don't know what to say to that. That's, I just tweeted that out as we were doing the show. I'm like, that's yeah. the most baffling thing that's ever happened on the Peristyle podcast. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's, that's ultimate depression. <laughs> When you hear that, that's like, uh, I'm so depressed. I don't know. It's like, I was thinking about setting myself on fire, but I'll just say, uh, I'm looking forward to USC basketball. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's yeah. awesome. I was thinking of, this is like my favorite show ever. All right. Well, let's jump in. Let's go to some of these questions. We have deplorable Dan and Tustin. So deplorable Dan has been writing in the last couple of weeks. Wow. He said, yeah. It's a different, yeah, it's a different day. He's a neighbor. I, I, I'm the, uh, uh, well, I don't know if I'm, uh, the, the second deplorable Dan in Tustin, <laughs> but, uh. But you have a neighbor, Dan, deplorable Dan in Tustin. It's deplorable Dan. He says, just more of the same. We have better players coached by inferior coaches. How about that Clancy Pendergast? Brent, break, but don't bend defense. This unacceptable situation will not get better without coaching changes to expect it to improve with this staff. Is to say the least naive, deplorable Dan. Well, I mean, I do think uh, you know a thin defensive line that gets bolstered by uh, Stevie, who, for all those Utah fans, he said, "Oh, Stevie wouldn't start for us, or he wasn't going to." Stevie's better. Okay, we didn't get to see the little Lele, whatever, uh, all that much, but uh, Stevie's better than anybody you got, and he showed it. And, uh, and I think Stevie made the right move coming to USC. But, 
Rasheem Green is, looks like he's still feeling his way. Noah Webster is somewhere coming back from Las Vegas to campus to the team. We don't know. Uh, Malik Dorton had the hip injury. Uh, as, uh, as Clay said last week, you know, uh, uh, you know, Christian Rector and, uh, Liam Jimmons and, uh, you know, those guys have to step up, but, uh, we got to see that. We got to see some of them stepping up, and we haven't seen that. Uh, we got to see uh, uh, Connor Murphy maybe, you know, getting a chance. And uh, and and Ola Wally, uh, you know, if you need somebody to get to the quarterback, maybe one time, and win the game for you. Uh, but it certainly looks like if you're going to play at you know 4,000 plus feet in really ugly weather against the team that's going to drive the ball and drive the ball, you maybe need to have some way. I mean, let's face it, all Clancy has said for the entire season, since he's been here basically, is we're going to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And then they go, you know, for that whole game-winning drive at the end of the game, and, you know, who got to the other side of the line of scrimmage? I mean, they... uh you know, they'd have been better off dropping all 11 guys back, I think, and, and hope, you know, the ball <laughs> hit one of them. Than, uh, I mean, you know, they're just, uh, that was so frustrating. I mean, so, yeah, uh, when it rains, it pours. I mean, so they get the offense actually, it's, and you say, well, except for the fumbles and the penalties, the offense looked really good. And, and except for not being able to get Justin on the field. So, uh, that's kind of a low bar uh, to say, you know, and to say, well, the quarterback executed. You know, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the Pac-12 that are executing right now. I mean, Troy Williams, the Utah quarterback, grew up. All he wanted to do was go to USC. Carson Kidd, you know, wanted to go play for USC. Now he, his biggest dream was to beat USC, and that's what, exactly what he did. But there are a lot of quarterbacks in the Pac-12 that execute and want to beat USC, and just having one do that isn't probably enough. Um, Martin uh, from Ontario has three questions. So we'll, we'll kind of give like shorter answers for each one of these. Okay. If that's cool. So first he says, did Helton T. Martin decide to open uh, the play calling just because Darnold was a mobile quarterback? And if so, was Brown really that limited in play calling selection? Just because a quarterback isn't a dual threat doesn't mean you cannot call his number for a run play what do you think well he could run the ball but he couldn't he didn't really have the kind of uh, decisive quickness on the run pass option and and you know that read option was, was a big deal uh you know for him and uh it does make you wonder if you i mean justin davis was talking about after the game and said man what a difference to have a quarterback who can read that thing and and keep the ball he said it was so obvious that utah knew that and defended us differently. And he said it made it a lot easier for them to run the ball because Utah had to pay attention uh, to Sam. So was that a flaw to to maybe uh, still go with that, uh, you know, uh, as a big part of the offense when you didn't have a quarterback that, uh, you know, was as good at, at doing that? And one of the other, I think, I thought one of the points that Clay made the other night that, that was a good point uh might get people second guessing, but was that not only does Sam have the quick feet, he got the quick hands. He got the ability to, you know, pull that ball out of there and throw that, you know, run pass option. 
uh, and, uh, and, and his quickness all the way around changes the look of the offense and it changes what the defense thinks they got to do and it opens things up for people. So, uh, so I don't know that Max was, uh, the perfect match for the offense that they were wanting to run and which is why the most of the coaches wanted Sam in there because of what you saw Friday night. Uh, his second point was he also thinks that the staff made a bad call with Khalil Rogers. He said they should keep him on defense because the defensive line's not getting a good enough push late in games, which is giving the quarterbacks longer looks down the field. I know you actually asked Helton about that. That's the question I asked him because I saw Khalil run by me after the game and I'm thinking, man, he doesn't have, you know, he didn't play. You know, that was a wasted, a whole wasted game, wasted week of practice, and he might have made a difference if he had stayed in there. And I know Clay said he's one play away, uh, you know, from playing. But basically, you've got an insurance policy standing there on the bench who might be able to have made it. He might have been a difference. Uh, you know, you could have played three down linemen on, on those fourth and one situations. He might have made all the difference in the world. Uh, but you didn't give yourself a chance if all you're doing with him is standing him there. I don't even think that's fair to him uh, at this point. I think he should be playing one way or the other. And if he can't get in there on offense, he should be in there on defense. So, yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a bad move, and I think he needs to be on the field, uh, especially if you don't have enough uh, down linemen on defense. I, don't, I think it's an automatic uh, decision that you go with. And uh they don't look like there's enough flexibility on this coaching staff to be able to, like, be quick-footed enough or nimble enough to uh, to do those kinds of adjustments. You know, if you have to go with Cole Smith as your backup center, then you do it. One last one from Frank. Uh, I'm, fr- I'm sorry, from Martin. Well, I don't know why I said Frank. Frank Martin, maybe that was. Um, yeah, there you go. He said, halfway through the third quarter, USC's up by 14. It looks like USC went into a prevent defense, which allowed Utah to go down the field and score easily. Would Helton make that call to go into a prevent so early, or would that be Pendergast's call? Thanks for all the work you do. Fight on, Martin in Ontario. Yeah, I think that's Pendergast all the way. Uh, whether there's some talk about, I just don't know that, you know, I don't think Clay intrudes there at all. And, and, you know, was it a sense of maybe we can get them to, you know, just, you know, throw the ball up for grabs somewhere or whatever? Uh, you got to give Utah credit. When they got a chance, they took it. Uh, they didn't stop themselves. They didn't screw themselves up. Uh, when they needed, you know, big plays, they kept making the big plays. But, uh, but yeah, I think it hurt when they got up the 14 to allow Utah to come back and score, uh, you know, fairly quickly. Uh, I think that hurt a lot. If you could have, you know, stalled them, made them, uh, you know, give the ball up, not have success right away, I think would have, was a big, big, big time. And it was a little shocking that they looked like they they just, uh, you know, called it off uh, defensively and kind of, I don't know, you call it a prevent, you know, didn't go you know, prevent, but um, it didn't look like uh, what you'd seen. And was that a case of they were trying to, you know, uh, give them a little breather, uh, knowing that, you know, they'd been on the field a lot? Uh, I don't know. To me, if you're, if that's the case, I think you go for it. I think you do some, you know, unusual things just to take chances rather than let the other team drive the ball and keep your defense out there the whole time. All right. Let's move on. Troy 75 says with SC now putting the focus on RPOs, run pass options, 
Has Max Brown become the third-string quarterback? If Sam went down with an injury, isn't it more likely the coaches would look to Jalen Green instead of Max? And what are the chances Max stays at SC after this year, having one more year to play? Might he end up at another Pac-12 school? For example, Washington State. Fight on from Troy75. Yeah, Troy. Uh, No, I think uh, because of, you know, uh, ball security and knowing the offense and all that, I think Max would be the next choice. However, if it's a situation where you could, you know, take advantage of that bandit, you know, kind of wildcat, uh, you know, run package, uh, with the quarterback, then Jalen Green, I think they'd be happy to use him in that. And there may be situations where that, that is the way to go. Uh, as far as Max, uh, in another Pac-12 school, I would think he could count on that. Uh, he'll, uh, you know, if this year goes the way it looks like it's going to go, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I think Cal would be a, a, a place that uh, you could look for, or uh, Washington State. Uh, those would be two right off the top. Uh, and, you know, I would think without a doubt that would happen, yeah. And and, and what you want to do is uh, you want to leave it this semester, and then uh, you're there for the whole spring semester so that – and you go to a place that basically says you are our quarterback you know, you'll ha- you'll be here for the whole spring and winter workouts in spring, and uh, you're going to take the team over next year the way uh, Oregon is doing it two straight years with uh, grad assistant, you know, grad transfer quarterback. So yeah, he he'll he'll move on somewhere. Uh, we have a question from Robin. Uh, first, I want to say again how much I love the podcast. I listen to all of them every week. Thanks, Robin. Uh, what I'd like to know is why does USC stop doing what's working for them, but keeps doing what isn't? Uh, they took, uh, Justin Davis out when he had 12.6 yards of carry, but he sat on the bench for the fourth quarter. Also in the second half, USC had six penalties in the second half, including the big pass interference at the end. Fox Sports One said that's now 17 straight games with five or more penalties. Why is SC having so much trouble keeping the penalties under control? And what changed in the second half where they committed so many of them after just one in the first half? Thanks again, Robin. I, don't, I mean, you know, it could have been one of those things that someone screamed out to the uh, Pac-12 officials. You realize you've only called one penalty on USC? Hey, what's going on here? I don't know. I mean, you just some of those are trying too hard. Some of those are being a little out of control. Uh, uh, this is a team that hasn't. Uh, and over the last few years, this has not been a program with a very high football IQ. Uh, they just seem to have the, the knack. When you put together, uh, the Pac-12 officials and USC's, uh, you know, the way they treat USC and USC's, uh, desperation at times for guys to make plays and, and the carelessness that, <clears throat> that seems to, you know, be the case, uh, it's a, it's a, a dangerous mix. But yeah, it was a pretty interesting, the fact that first half, one penalty, second half, six. Uh, and, and usually you would think the team that is down two touchdowns is the team that should have to try harder and the team that, uh, would be, uh, uh, you know, likely to commit more penalties. Although if the other team is USC, that's never been the case. I mean, so I was there the first time Pete Carroll realized when, we, when they let us go to a Pac-12 officiating meeting with the head coaches, and he tried to get the Pac-12 to explain 
how did every team that USC played get called for half the penalties against USC that they averaged the rest of the year? If he, you know, said, I know we can control or not control what we do. How does it apply to the other teams? We don't have any control over them. Why do week after week after week teams get fewer penalties when they play USC than they do all the rest of the year? Of course, the Pac-12 guy said, wow, I didn't realize that, huh? (laughs) Let's see if I can come up with an answer for that, which, of course, they didn't ever come up with an answer. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, things changed radically in that second half. When uh, Utah needed help, they got it. Some of that was from USC, not all of it. Tarek had a question. Uh, Why is USC not using the tight end as H-backs and throwing to them that way? Well, I think, I don't know that there's there's the confidence in them. Uh, I mean, USC had one of the best uh, H-backs in the last decade in college football on Red Ellison. And I don't know, do they measure everything against Red, you know, in terms of uh, what he could do in motion and blocking at the point of attack and still... And he wasn't a big, big receiver, but he was always, you know, he would catch it if you threw it to him, but they didn't even need him to catch it. Uh, I think uh, a lot of times you want that H-back to be basically, if you don't have a fullback, he, you got the H-back. And I don't know if they just don't feel like they are getting enough blocking out of those, uh, of those H-backs. Uh, and you wish this would have been a, a high priority to make the whole H-back thing with the tight ends work. Uh, and it doesn't seem to have been, they don't seem to have the, you know, the confidence that, uh, that they can do that with them. Uh, and, uh, I wish they could, but so far they don't, it doesn't look like they do. They think they can. We got one from Philip in Maryland. He says, I love the podcast and I appreciate all the support. You give to the military on your show because I am in the Navy myself. Well, thanks for your service, Philip. Appreciate that. He says, as much as Clay Helton and his staff have been criticized, I think you have to give him credit for the change in quarterback and how prepared the team was to play Utah as well as the in-game adjustments made on defense. Hmm, I don't know about that last one. I am just as disappointed as any other Trojan fan about the start of the season, but can't we find some encouragement and hope from this game that this team can finish strong? I don't think another midseason head coaching firing is the answer for USC based on what has happened in the past, and I hope that the fans can still show their support for these players and coaches until the season is over. Do you agree? Fight on, Philip from Maryland. Yeah, Philip, and, and thanks for your service for sure. Uh, 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 <laughs> you know, I think you have to be upbeat. They could still salvage this. If they, I mean, I'm trying to, uh, I read today, <clears throat> what would be a satisfactory finish? Would it, would they have to equal that six and two record that, uh, you know, Ed Orgeron compiled when he came in from this point on? You know, you don't bring in a head, co- a new, a change in coaches, but you have to have a change in coaching and a change in results and a change in, you know, how everything's going. Do you have to go six and two and win a bowl game, uh, the way that staff did? Uh, you know, that would still only be, uh, what would that be? Eight and five. Uh, but would that be enough? Uh, maybe. Is there a chance to do that? 
you know, I'm not going to say there isn't. You know, I've been the upbeat one that's always tried to figure out this is how you could do it if you would only do it. Uh, but, um, you know, this is, uh, this is a tough, this is, they're in a tough place just because, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to plot out how this finishes up in terms of, say, the Pac-12 South. And I would have thought that anything less than winning the Pac-12 South is, is a real, uh, step back for this program this year. Uh, and, and that's going to take all kinds of lucky breaks and bounces and, 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 and all that. And, uh, so, and I guess the other part of that is if you say, uh, Clay ought to get, you know, congratulated for the quarterback change and, and, and the improvement on the offense. That's the difference. If you win, that's the, that's the storyline we're talking about. If you win, and we're talking about Stan Darnold, we're talking about the offense figuring out what it could do and run the ball inside and all that kind of thing. If you don't win, even that that, that happened, what people say about the quarterback now is, and I, I hate to say this, it might even be some of the same people that said, oh, Max was getting screwed. These are the same people that are saying, well, why didn't Sam start the year out, you know? I mean, it's like you can second, if you keep losing, all those things get lost in the loss. Uh, so, you know, Clay doesn't get credit for making the quarterback change. He'll get criticized for, well, why didn't he start the first game? Yeah. No, it makes sense. So. <laughs> um, Percy had a question. He wants to know about the current team's football IQ. For some reason, this team uh, just seems to do the wrong things at the right times, which negates all of the supposed progress. Is it on the players or the coaches to have the high football IQ? So he wants to know your assessment of this, the current team's football IQ. Yeah, I've said it more than once that 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 this is not a high uh, football IQ team. Is is that a result of maybe not practicing? under game pressure, game tempo, game speed, all of that kind of thing. So you, you don't you want people to do that without thinking about it. If they if you think uh high football IQ is thinking about it and doing it, no. High football IQ is being able to do it without thinking about it because you're so prepared. I mean, watch Stanford. They are, you know, they're they make the plays they have to make even though they may not be any better than you. They think they're better than you. They think they're smarter than you. They think they're going to get get it right. And more often than not, they do. But if you've got a team that maybe doesn't think it's going to get it right or, you know, worries about, you know, whether it's going to get it right or worries about what the coaches are calling, uh, the chances are they actually start thinking. And when you start thinking, you're probably – you know, not going to be able to make a play because the game happens too fast to, to have to think your way through. So I think football IQ is developed on the practice field. And I think it's developed, you know, I mean, Pete's teams had high football IQs. But those, that was, you know, that was a result of what they did in practice and how they practiced and how they competed against one another and made life difficult for one another so that they could do the right things without thinking about them. And, um, we're not seeing that. We got a couple more, Dan. We'll let you go. Uh, we started talking about the rest, but David had a question. He said, uh, I like, uh, like some of the fans, I have issues with the refs. The spots look poor 
and one-sided, which got me to thinking, uh, what are the Pac-12 systems for ref quality control? Does the league even care about the improve, about improving the quality? The history is dubious. Is there any post-game reviews and quality reports, uh, back to the actual refs? And what input does the head coach have? He can't voice his objections to the press. Do they allow him to complain to the league? And do they ever bother to listen? Thanks, uh, David from behind the orange curtain. Yeah, that last question, David, is the, is the key. Is is there's a whole series of what they do. For example, I sat next to the uh, Pac-12 director of officiating, David Coleman, and I really like him and respect him. He's a full-time guy, uh, been a military man, uh, uh, did a lot of college, and then NFL officiating. He's very big into into training, and I know that it's harder to do it in the Pac-12. I know this when when I uh, uh, was in the Chicago area. I, I knew the head of officiating in the, in the Big Ten, and they would, on a Monday evening at his house in northwest Indiana, our Big Ten officials would drive in from uh, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan, and they'd meet in his basement, and they'd go over every play that happened on Saturday. And they were brutal. I mean, they really, and I got to sit there and listen to them, and, and it was very enlightening. Uh, you can't do that in the Pac-12 because the league is so spread out. You couldn't bring everybody together. Uh, they do allow the coaches, They, I think they require the coaches to file a report on Sunday, and they do put the cut-ups in there where they show you the play and they give their commentary. They absolutely do not let the coaches talk about that, and they don't talk about it unless Maybe a couple of times in history they've actually come out from the Pac-12 office. Usually, I think, as I recall, both of those <laughs> in the last 10 years were in plays where USC got the benefit of something or other, and they came out and said, we really screwed up. USC shouldn't have gotten that call, or USC, you know. But it's been very rare that they come out and say uh, and reprimand an official. I mean, honestly, the guy who missed the uh, crackback uh, on Cameron Smith should not be allowed to referee the rest of the year. I mean, that, that could get a player hurt, was right in front of him. The whole stadium saw it. Uh, you just can't miss that call. And I would, I'd probably give a call, if I'm David Coleman, to Terry Layden, the uh, referee in the USC game, and say, what were you thinking on that Damian Mama down the field penalty? He was obviously trying to block a linebacker. He lost his footing. He rolled. He wasn't really uh, a blocking downfield threat on a pass play. Uh, what was you thinking? Uh, you know that was a ge- that was a game changer. That basically changed the uh, USC. They get that 37-yard completion, they win the game. Uh, and so I'd want to talk to him and say, "Tell me what you're thinking. Uh, have you ever done that before? You know, is that you know? Did you realize that it had no effect whatsoever on the play?" Uh, and so there, there would be, you know, and the, the spots, I've heard it from a number of people, we don't get to maybe always see, um, uh, you know, depending on where you are in the press box, and, and you don't always get to see the, you know, the spots maybe as well as you guys do at home on, on stuff like that. But uh, certainly heard from a lot of people questioning the spots as well. Uh, whether USC will put all of that in the report on the, the Juju spot, for example, uh, and... You know, I've 
none of the coaches that I've talked to have ever said they've gotten much satisfaction in terms of, uh, of the Pac-12 officials. I do know this. A couple of times during the game, Larry Scott and David Coleman got together, and it was pretty obvious to me they were standing behind me. That they do worry about the reputation of Pac-12 officials. And at halftime, I got the sense that they were like, okay, we're doing okay so far. Nothing really embarrassing. I'll paraphrase. But, uh, I know, you know, it's a worry. If you're, if you're in charge of the Pac-12 officials, you're like holding your breath game to game that they don't do something that, that embarrasses you. Like in the UCLA Stanford game where, uh, you know, they, uh, they missed one of those, uh, you know, fearing place that you really got to call and they didn't so you know dan on the one the damian mama one someone was tweeting me i think someone actually a utah fan was tweeting me a, a still shot and it and it, uh damian mama was on the ground but it looked like he was five yards beyond the line of scrimmage, like he was down there so is what the is what usc saying is that he was you know down on the ground he wasn't downfield blocking and like got rolled so he was yeah, you're allowed three yards so so he he tripped and and fell and rolled rolled and so that's where you make a a, a judgment and when you you know the play is nowhere near where he is he's not blocking anybody he's not standing up you know he's not he just you know he just rolled there that extra couple of yards that's one of those plays where you you probably say well you know he was blocking a guy within the three yards where he was allowed to block right and he misses and rolls. You know, so it's a, I would say that would be one of those gray areas where I probably agree with Clay when he says he's seen that called twice. That was the second time in 21 years coaching he's seen it called like that. Gotcha. Uh, oh. so yeah, you could say technically, you know, he's on the ground. He's not a block, he's not a threat to block anybody. And he only got there because he tripped. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and again, some of the issues that USC has, you know, just those little things like uh, body control and, and that kind of thing. You, you really would like to be able to, if you miss that linebacker in the three yards, to be going to the ground instead of tripping and falling and ending up five yards downfield. One last one for you, Dan. Tom in Hermosa, my neighbor Tom. Um, I don't know Tom, but I live in Hermosa too, so I guess we're neighbors. He says, love the podcast. Uh, does USC have any coaches like Ed Orgeron or for us older fans, Marv Goo, who could fire up the team for a head coach who was more subdued? And we hear about how some of the players are leaders on the field, but we never hear about a coach who energizes the team like Ed did for Pete Carroll. Tom from Hermosa. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's futile to try to find somebody to match Ed's voice. Ed's presence i was talking to sean cody the other day who comes to practice once a week because he does a radio show and he was talking about he said uh he he would have a knot in the pit of his stomach he said before practice just knowing that coach o is gonna go over some of the film with him and then you know what he's going to ask of them on the practice field and just that and, and just that voice and just that presence and yeah, there's nobody like that. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, 
and you do miss it, I think. Uh, and it, it was a, a it was a real plus, I think, to have somebody uh, like that. And and there just isn't anybody that has that kind of outgoing uh, a voice. Clay's really got the loudest voice. Clay's voice is, uh, you know, and it's sort of had to be because there just isn't anyone else exactly like every once in a while you know coach baxter on special teams will uh you know somebody won't be on the field you know (laughs) we haven't had one yet where three guys didn't make it out onto the field on the special teams but but you can hear him every once in a while but uh but there is not that that kind of person certainly not a margu either and uh you know those those guys are, are really valuable uh, and it's kind of interesting that that LSU uh, had a uh, their defensive coordinator Dave Aranda, who they hired away from Wisconsin last year for like two million dollars a year, the highest paid defensive coordinator in the country. Uh, that when they needed to name an interim head coach, they named Coach O. I thought that was you know, kind of interesting that that's the direction they went, which tells you kind of what they think of him and what the players think of him and. Uh, uh, and you, you don't have a guy like that around and, and that's a, that's a, a miss. You need, you need somebody like that, I think, in college football. It was great to hear Ed Orgeron at the press conference. I did, I caught the, probably the last third of it or so, but it was awesome hearing him. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I know Bruce Feldman really well. I'm sure I'll talk to him about it and stuff. But Bruce knows. Ed Orgeron really well. Dan and I both have good relationships with Ed Orgeron and you know, we always want to see him do well. And, uh, it's funny for USC fans. There's a lot, you know, there's some USC fans that loved when Ed Orgeron was a coach. There's some that just absolutely hated it. I don't, I don't know why it's been so polarizing, but they just, yeah, that was inexplicable. I, I, they I have no it. idea. There are people got on their side in terms of he's the wrong guy. And there was a, there was a cadre and I don't know how many it was. But it was this group that were just so sure that what he did at Ole Miss, which was, in effect, as many mistakes as he made, he turned that program around. And he got screwed because they bring in Houston Nutt, who benefited from all the players that Ed recruited. Ed, you know, didn't have, you know, he didn't understand, I don't think, exactly what it was to be a head coach. But he learned. And when he came back to USC, and I don't think he got credit for this, and I'll even say with Bruce, who I think, you know, didn't probably give Ed as much credit as Ed deserved for the way he coached that USC team and for all the smart decisions he made in that turnaround uh, process. And, and, and a lot of our fans that right on the board, they really didn't understand what Ed was doing, that that was one of the best coaching jobs, the way that, you know, and if you talk to any of those coaches that were on that staff, it was their almost proudest moment in, uh, in coaching. And uh, and that only happened because of the uh, of the way Ed turned things around, and with a very thin roster, and uh, and for them to go six and two, and then in effect seven and two because the Las Vegas Bowl, uh, the team won the game for Ed. Uh, that was one of the amazing uh, you know coaching performances, and it's uh, I think one of the reasons that he's getting this shot at LSU is he's really he's learned what it takes but for the people who were just anti-ed it is it's hard to even understand where they're coming from i i i i'm totally befuddled by that uh that group of people that are 
you know, were down on Ed. It, it made no sense at all. So there's a lot of USC fans that'll be rooting for Ed Orgeron. I don't. I mean, it's funny. Yep. It could end up making USC look worse. Like, say Orgeron runs the table, beats Alabama, then all the USC. See, you should have hired Ed Orgeron. And and I, it's funny. I think it was one of the guys. You know, the, he doesn't even need to win a game for that to be the story. Because basically, if they would have kept Ed there, uh, you would have had maybe the best recruiting head coach in America and a coach who the players would play for and, and would be, and a team that would be physical. Whether he would work out, you know, in terms of the right guy on the offensive coordinator and all of that, all the big decisions, whether, because he's kind of, as much as he loved USC and you can't overstate how much he loved USC, uh, the people at USC that were running things, I think they always looked at Ed as kind of an outsider. He wasn't their type. He, he wouldn't, they might not be comfortable with him at their club, uh, that kind of thing. But, uh, he would have been, he would have enabled USC to not embarrass itself with the Steve Sarkeesian hire. That alone, nothing else would have made keeping Ed the right decision. And a lot of people don't get that, but that would have made life so much simpler if you would never have have gone in the direction of Steve Sarkeesian. Life yeah. would have been, you know, they'd have been far better off today had they uh, had they gone that way and I, said, Ed, we're going to give you a chance. You des- you earned a chance to keep this going and keep that staff together. And it would have been really interesting to see where they are today yeah I, I i agree with you dan i was same thing i'm like you can't say that usc would not have been better off it's hindsight we've said this at the time they should have kept him it was the right guy at the right time you wouldn't hire him from outside um and they'd say well you, no one else was going to hire him no one else was going to hire sark no one else was going to hire clay you you end up hiring people that no one was going to hire anyway but i still have but USC- then you get to the place today where all those people who said no one else will hire ed lsu did yeah. They had other choices. They hired Ed. Yeah, they you had know? more, you know, higher paid assistants on staff, um, for sure. But there, there's still people that say, no, he would have been fired by now at USC. I just, I don't, I'm not saying you would get him out of the blue, but I'm saying at that time, over the, USC just makes the wrong decision. Every major decision over the last five years, if you flip them, you know, they would have been way better off, in my opinion. I think the, the interim head coach, you had two interim head coaches. You didn't hire one, you hired another. If you flip those, it's way better, I think. You know, it just, yeah. as much well, as I like Kale, that was the wrong if choice. If you make one comparison between Ed and Clay, as much as we like Clay, I mean, we like Clay in a different way, yes. uh, you know, from Ed. Ed had the three years of experience, and then, you know, at Ole Miss, where you learn, you know, and it's really hard, and you drop into the, you know, the SEC at a place where they hadn't been good for a long time. Uh, he had that benefit. Clay didn't have that benefit. That, that's the hardest thing that Clay has had to deal with. He's never been a head coach. That's, yeah. that's almost impossible, I think, to get over uh, in, when you're in a situation where you're really up against it, like USC has been for these years, uh, whereas Ed would have been. But I don't think anybody paid enough attention to the fact that Ed really did learn. I mean, very similar to you know Pete Carroll in a different way. But he took that year off, and he came back, and he was a different kind of a coach because he reevaluated everything that he'd done. And uh, as different as they were in their approach, Ed did much of the same thing. And Ed wasn't even remotely the same kind of 
head coach when he was at USC than he was at Ole Miss. But uh, that was the constant battle cry was, oh, look what he did at Ole Miss. You know, you just wanted to say that's not. And, and now we have a lot of people, you know, pushing less miles because look what he did at LSU 10 years ago. And you think, uh, no, that's not probably the way to go in terms of, you know, well, look at their history. I think you got to look at where they are now. And that's the hard part is figuring out where is this guy right now and where will he be in, you know, five years. That's the, it's not easy. No. All right, Dan. Alabama well, great. Made, made it look good with Saban. Ohio State made it look good with Irby, and Michigan's going to make it look good with Harbaugh. But there, there aren't that many slam dunks. Probably Tom Herman might be one pretty close to a slam dunk if he goes to the right place. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff. Knocked out an hour podcast. Lots of questions. I'm glad we got to all of them. And uh, thanks, everyone, for sending those in. Cool stuff. Um, we'll do more, man. I think it's going to be a, a podcast-packed week. It's been like that every week, but we'll, we'll do some more. Uh, thanks for sending in your questions. And thank you, Dan, for coming on and uh, sharing all the insights. Great stuff. And let's just hope there's no more emergency podcast this weekend, okay? I didn't call for an emergency podcast. I should be. USC was one and three. I probably could have called for an emergency, but I did not. I just like, you know, I I mean, it's like kind of crying wolf. They can't all be emergencies. You're just kind of used to this by now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. No triage uh, uh, this week. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. This is Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. This is the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.